0: We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balaszewski says, it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balaszewski. Hello, my friends. I'm so honored to be connecting with you for part of our day today on Journey to Center and Empower Radio. Today, I want to talk about the relationship with our bodies, our minds, our feelings, Vibrant health and happiness. Are they related? I for sure would say yes. As a holistic life counselor, I believe we are spiritual beings having a human experience and our body, mind, spirit connection is perhaps the most important relationship we can cultivate, pay attention to, care for, and take responsibility for. But sometimes we don't know what we don't know until we experience tragedy or we get very sick. I'm incredibly honored and excited to be speaking to my internationally recognized expert, respected spiritual teacher, and world-renowned medical doctor about the purpose of illness and how we can choose to look at our health challenges, not as the enemy, but rather a wake-up call to the bigger picture of who we are, our life's deeper purpose, and perhaps even the manifestation of miracles through the power of love. We're here with someone who many people, including me, to be considered a living legend. We're here with Dr. Bernie Siegel. Dr. Siegel is a medical doctor, a retired surgeon, and has been at the forefront of cancer treatment and complementary holistic health since the 1970s. He's a longtime and well-known proponent of alternative approaches to healing, not just the body, but also the mind and soul. Dr. Siegel studied medicine at Colgate University and Cornell University Medical College. His surgical training took place at Yale, New Haven Hospital, West Haven Veterans Hospital, and the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Bernie retired from surgery in 1989 and has since dedicated himself to humanizing the medical establishment's approach to patients and empowering individuals to play a greater role in the healing process. Dr. Siegel has authored many best-selling books, but today we're going to talk about his classic and one of my all-time favorite books about healing, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, Lessons Learned About Self-Healing from a Surgeon's Experience with Exceptional Patients. So Dr. Siegel, thank you so much for being on Journey to Center today.
1: Thank you, Tammy. I probably should read my first book over again. Uh I did.
0: I just read it again this week.
1: Because I am I always get a kick out of all the things I was saying then that, you know, are substantiated now, that, uh, you know, makes you feel good that you were ahead of time, so to speak, and, and saying them. And I'm beginning to see a change in the medical profession, you know, beginning to deal with not just the patient's feelings, that's even harder, but that doctors are beginning to Look into their feelings, you know, the things that they're not trained to do. um, And that's to care for people. I mean, that may sound crazy, but uh, the sentence that says it all for me is we treat the result, not the cause. Mm -hmm. So we focus on a diagnosis. And this is from an ad in the major medical journal. I was depressed, unable to cope. I went to see my physician. He prescribed antidepressant. I feel better now. When I read that, uh, I wrote them the journal and the company, the pharmaceutical company said, excuse me, I've had a tragedy in my family. I'm depressed. I go to my doctor and all I get is a pill. Don't you think the doctor ought to say, sit down, tell me what's happening in your life. Maybe you could put that line in your ad and they canceled the ad. But, you know, that's the sad part. And And I was. Told, I was blaming my patients years ago when I would say to them, you know, one of the questions in Love, Medicine and Miracles, what's happened in the last year or two in your life? Mm. Why did I ask that? Because your life can make you vulnerable to illness. You see, oh, yes. <clears throat> when I wrote that, we didn't have a lot of studies, such as the effects of loneliness on the genes which control immune function, even the benefits of a pet. Of laughter mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's scientific in the sense of what happens to your body chemistry when you're lonely, when you have a pet um all those things are scientific and um but you see, when I was talking about it, nobody wanted to do research because they thought I was nuts what difference you were it? a mystic,
0: you were considered a mystic by traditional yes. doctors,
1: yeah. Oh, and even worse, satanic, occult. <laughs> uh, oh, it was amazing. All the things I got called. Even doing guided imagery, you know, using drawings. Yes. Satan could take over your images. That's a statement from a member of the clergy. Wow. Satan could take over your images. And that's why he would never send anybody to my support group. Oh, um, goodness. You know, it's hard for me to believe you can't tell who Satan is if he shows up. But, um, (laughs) you know, but yeah, you were definitely
0: at the forefront of this healing revolution and it is catching up with you. So thank you for laying the groundwork. I'm a hypnotherapist. I do sacred art, art for healing mandalas Uh, and everything I read that you talk about. You've been doing this stuff for years. Right. Yeah.
1: I got into hypnotherapy, Milton Erickson. You know, I Mm -hmm. began again to explore all the things I wasn't taught in medical school. One of the things that really disturbed me when I thought I was discovering incredible things. (laughs) I sent an article to medical journal. I said, you know, for publication about dreams and drawings. They wrote back saying it's interesting, but it's not appropriate for our journal. So I sent it to psychotherapy journals. And guess what? They returned it too, saying, yes, it's appropriate. But it's not interesting. We know all this. (laughs) That blew my mind, you know, that none of that had been shared with me in all the years of training as a doctor. Things like Carl Jung interpreting a dream and diagnosing a brain tumor. Yes, I've had patients, you know, share that with me, too. And in some of my books, I share the fact that they had a dream, woke up and knew what was going on in their body. Um, and no doctor says to you, you know, when you're being examined, any dreams lately that it's significant? No, Um, not medical doctors, no. Yeah, nobody thinks (laughs) about that, and the power of our words. One of our kids took the word words and Mm -hmm. filled an art canvas with it at school, and I really think this was a little bit psychic, too. I won't get into it in detail, but when a youngster comes home from school with this, enormous canvas bigger than he was with the word words written all over it in lines. And for anybody listening, write words, words, words with no space between the words. And you will notice they become sword, 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 swords, 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 swords. And when he walked in the door with that, it was like wow. Wow. I mean I immediately yeah, thought, you know, you know, I can kill or cure you with my words. Yes. By taking your hope away. Or I can do the same thing with a scalpel, you know, and it's how we use it. And doctors again aren't trained to talk to people, so we are in a sense more often negative hypnotherapists. You know, I always laugh at the ads on television for different drugs. Oh, they're scary. They, they, yeah, after they tell you it's good for your headache, they tell you all the side effect could be death. It could do to you. You know, <laughs> I laugh and say I, I'll keep my headache, thank you. But yeah. But doctors tend to tell you the troubles, you know, you're supposed to know this is good for you. So they tell you all the possible side effects and then you go home and have them. And again, I know from experience, I called it deceiving people into health. It's an article on my website that people trusted me. So I would lie to them for their benefit. Now, that may sound terrible. You're lying to your patients, but for their benefit. In other words, I was inducing something hypnotically. It could be as simple as taking a child who's afraid sees a needle, and I say, oh, don't worry. This little sponge I have, it's going to clean your skin, will also numb it. And you <laughs> rub them with an alcohol sponge, and they don't feel the needle because of the faith they have in you. And what well, I think these- when
0: information comes from somebody we respect, we believe right. them.
1: Yeah, so the parents and I would, you know, I would educate the parents about it, too. It could be as simple as taking a bunch of vitamins and putting on the, you know, container uh, whatever the child was having problems with due to their treatment, you know, that it would relieve nausea, grow hair, whatever. And it's amazing how many kids, because the doctor and their parents were telling them this would work, had all these beneficial effects. And adults, too. Yes. You know, when you shifted their belief in their mood, I mean, one, that always impresses me, a woman was having chemotherapy, going home after it, vomiting all the way home in the car. Her husband drove her up and back. And he started to bring a bag in the car. So when she would say, oh, I'm going to throw, okay, he'd hand her the bag and she'd have something to throw up in. And one day she came to our group meeting smiling. I said, what is it? She said, the other day I had therapy, got in the car, feeling sick. My husband handed me the bag. I opened it There were a dozen roses for my husband in it. (laughs) And she said, I never vomited again.
0: Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) That's a great story.
1: And true. I always say I never make up any of these. It's all the people that I've worked with and taken care of.
0: Well, and that's the thing about you, Bernie, that I just absolutely love. You didn't want to be on a pedestal. You wanted to be in partnership. And that's what I think really opened people's minds and hearts to the healing. You connected yes. with them from the heart.
1: Yeah, the line that changed me. I mean, I was at a meeting I thought it was for doctors, and I was the only doctor in the room. Mm-hmm. It was run by a physician, Carl Simonton, to help people with imagery. He'd written a book, Getting Well Again. Yes. Yes. And I thought, well, all the doctors will be there, you know. I was the only doctor in the room, 125 mm-hmm. people. That See, that's what medicine is like. Here's a doctor trying to empower and help patients, and no doctor shows up. But I was there, and then my patients sat around me because we were in a just, you know, a normal audience, and you know, theater-type thing. And this young woman with breast cancer, and I always wish I could find her again, <laughs> she turned to me. She said, You're a nice guy. I feel better when I'm in the office with you, but I can't take you home with me. So I need to know how to live between office visits. See, that made me think, okay, I don't have to be a failure anymore. Hmm. What what do I mean by failure? I can't cure everything. I can't fix everything. But if I I can help people live, then I won't go home with so much pain because I have helped them to live. And, of course, you find when you help people live, they don't die when they're supposed to because their body gets that live message. I always say if I had to summarize everything now, it would be. Love your life. Create a life you can love, and love your body. And then, it and it doesn't it that. come
0: down to that. It is as simple and difficult as that.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, when you listen to people's lives, oh boy. I mean, <laughs> well, I thought this
0: was interesting, Bernie. You had talked about about um, approximately eighty percent of the people that came to you were not loved or wanted as children, and yeah. it isn't that interesting. Those messages we got as children, how that programs us for either health
1: or non-health. Yeah, a study that was done back in the 90s because I just, I looked it up again because somebody wanted the exact magazine it was in and everything. You know, maybe she didn't trust me or just wanted the information. But it was a study done out in Arizona where, but of Harvard students. I mean, the therapists were from Arizona uh, University. And they, students were asked, did your parents love you? And then you look them up when they're middle-aged. Those who said yes, approximately one-fourth suffered a major illness in the intervening years. Those who said no, 98% had. Mm -hmm. And again, it's about the self-worth, self-esteem. You know, a lot of people feel guilty when, you know, I talk about they're living a self-destructive lifestyle. You know, I mean, that you know that drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and obesity are not good for you. And, you know, some will say, oh, you're blaming me. No, I'm not blaming you. What I'm saying is you were hypnotized by your parents in a negative way. Mm -hmm. You have no self-worth, self-esteem. So, you know, you seek out pleasure that's self-destructive. Because it's like, hey, I deserve, you know, this. It's okay if I do it. Uh, Look what I've been through. And, you have to take responsibility and at the same mm-hmm. time work at what I call reparenting yourself and loving yourself. It's nice if somebody comes into your life, a doctor, a school teacher, a member of the clergy, it doesn't matter who, and says, hey, I love you and you're worth loving. And, and you know, they keep it up until it penetrates. And then you begin to take care of yourself. Because right. I've seen this as a doctor, that if I, Well, the opposite of love, indifference, rejection, and abuse. And I learned that these people were so used to rejection that they were shocked when I would tell them to keep coming back to the office because they were so used to rejection that they didn't listen to the doctors, they didn't do anything anybody told them. And then they expected, okay, I'll be told, no point in you coming back, you're not doing anything. But I would keep saying, I'll see you again, I'll see you again. (laughs) <laughs> and a few months down the road, they began to realize, I must be worth something. This guy keeps telling me to come back. And so, again, they began to change their lifestyle. And uh, I would say also, on a, on a broader level, when we read about all these mass murders, whether you're going into schools, businesses, uh, it doesn't matter, theaters, and shooting everybody, that, again, is a reaction to the rejection. They're seeking revenge. They're going to get even with the world. Yes. Of course, 90% of the time, they then either kill themselves or the police do, because then they feel guilty for what they've done. So if we can bring up all the kids with love and what I call a reverence for life, mm-hmm. all forms of life, then it would become a very different world in a very short time. You You really would. And I
0: love, love, love this quote in your book. An unreserved positive self-adoration remains the essence of health. Self-esteem and self-love are not a sin. They make life a joy instead of a chore. And I say all the time, Bernie, it's like we become spiritual adults. We become happy and whole. When we learn to love and adore ourselves, like we wish our parents would have. Yes. Oh, Yes, reparenting ourselves. I think that's so vital so
1: important
0: so Bernie what do you think
1: let me just mention for people who are listening to this and because I call it putting up a shrine put put up pictures of yourself I know there are many who don't have baby pictures because of how their parents felt about them but put pictures of yourself up around the house around where you work and whenever you look at that face love yourself (laughs) send it some love and the change will happen
0: Yes, I do that. In the mirror, I used to look at myself and go, ugh. And not uh, surprisingly, I was very sick. I had chronic fatigue, I had a lot of health challenges. But then I started paying attention to my words, my swords (laughs) that I shared with myself, and they were very destructive. And I went, wow, I'm meaner to me than anybody. I would never be this mean to anyone else. So I started to say different things to myself. And it felt strange at first. I would go to the mirror and say, well, you're cute. You're nice. And now it's so funny. It's it's a habit. And now people come up to me all the time. Oh, you're so cute and nice. And it's the words I said to myself years ago. I feel like I've programmed my life from the inside out. And my health is better. My relationships are better. My prosperity is better. So it really does come down to that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I do positive mantras in the morning to get me started. And I notice the same thing in the evening when I look in the mirror. Oh, who's that guy? And then I smile (laughs) at him and... uh, You know, he's so cute. It changes. Yeah, I feel 10 years (laughs) younger and and I'm enjoying, you know, that face looking out at me. Right.
0: I think that's lovely. I think that's that's what we need to do for ourselves. We need to claim our unique beauty and our adorableness. And I like something you wrote about in your book. There was a smoker that came to you and she had health challenges and she goes, I know you're going to tell me to stop smoking. And you said, no, I'm going to tell you to love yourself. And she goes, well, I love myself. I just don't adore myself. Yeah. But she started working on that. And then the side effect was just the smoking went away.
1: Right. Yeah. Love it. it, It's just to be honest with the people and, you know, and what they are doing to themselves. I always say it isn't about information. People aren't stupid. And just telling them, like, read my book, do this, do that doesn't change them. Yeah. You have to be there to inspire them. To be mm-hmm. a coach, what I call the life coach, that y- you can be constructively critical. You know, it's to improve their performance and behavior and health. So they know that even when you, I called it care frontation, uh, my yes. form of therapy, because people knew I cared about them, but I still confronted them, you know, so to empower them. That it wasn't, oh, I have terrible parents, terrible relatives, terrible spouse. Uh, it's you got choices, you know, yes. what you eat, who you're living with, all these things. Uh, and so, again, it was to empower people and let them know that they had choices and they're not. And
0: I think that it boils down to that because I think there's two approaches to life. We can either be a victim or we can be empowered. Right. And I know for sure I felt like a victim when I was sick, I felt it was a punishment. And then I read this quote in your book, (laughs) disease is not disease is a loss of health, not a punishment. Lost health is to be looked for and recovered, just as you would seek to find your lost car keys rather than assume God wanted you to walk home.
1: I was like, wow,
0: bam, I guess that's it. I need to stop feeling sorry for myself. This pity party is not helping.
1: Yeah. The other theme that I thought of when you were talking about the mirror is the still pond. Because there are many little myths and fairy tales, the ugly duckling, the tiger brought up by goats, you know, the duckling sees he's a swan in a still pond, the tiger is shown by another tiger that he's a tiger, not a goat. Mm -hmm. And the the theme, and Joseph Campbell talked about this, is the quiet mind, that when you quiet your mind, Mm. whether you're looking in the mirror or the still pond, you see the truth, you see. But when you're not, you know, when there's turbulence, oh, I'm ugly, I'm unhappy, I have a lousy job, I, whatever it is, I got the worst disease, you're never going to see the truth. But when you can quiet your mind and learn from your experience in life, then you'll see how beautiful you really are.
0: Oh, you just gave me goosebumps. That's true. Meditation and silence has been so important. Yeah. In my healing. And it does seem when I quiet the mind, the fear goes away and I settle into this place of of peace and love. And I do think that is the space of healing. That that's the still small voice within and the wisdom within and, and the kingdom of heaven within.
1: Yeah. And it's so uh, beautiful. You know, you've got to work at it. I know that. I'm still working at it every day. <laughs> but but I know that I have a role and I have power and I can do these things. So yes, you know, yes. I don't become a victim. And blame Absolutely. And else.
0: I th- another thing you write about a lot that I, I so believe in is the power of compassion, the therapeutic effect of compassion. You say it is infinite and immeasurable and compassion is so different than pity. Yes. To have compassion for our stories, ourselves. And when we do that, then we can have it for others. And I think that's when we become healed and we can become a, a healing force in the
1: world. Right. Like, you know, love, it benefits all involved, the giver and the receiver. Mm-hmm. There, there's a young man dying of AIDS many years ago who said, what's evil is not the disease, but to not respond with compassion to the person with the disease. And those, you know, are very meaningful words. And I think, again, as a physician, if I could be there with compassion, then I'm contributing something to that person's life. Even if I don't cure them, they're going to feel that compassion and my love. And uh, yeah, one, oh boy, all my memories. One, I was away one weekend and the patient that I was caring for had died. But she left a note for me, and it said, thanks for the love. I can take it with me. Oh, so What a gift that was, you know, from her.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I just got goosebumps hearing that. How incredible that that is um, a priceless, priceless gift. And I know you've had that effect and influence on thousands and thousands and, and maybe millions of people through your words and your book and your heart and your connection. Almost everyone I've told that you're going to be on the show has had some sort of encounter with you. It is bizarre. <laughs> it's coincidental and synchronistic and, and, and otherworldly. It's, it's quite incredible how your love has rippled out and I think held the world in compassion and kindness. And I just think you're such a gift.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. It, it surprised me, but, I had to learn that also. I shaved my head in the 1970s.
0: Uh-huh, I know that, When it was yes.
1: totally out of style. You know, <laughs> our sons had their hair down to their shoulders. They knew their father wasn't normal, but now he's going to go and embarrass them even more. <laughs> um, and um, it took me many years, because I wasn't in therapy say, then, but until I was reading a story <clears throat> by Carl Jung, and he was discussing some myths in one the hero's head is shaved. And he goes on to talk about it as symbolic of what the monks do when they shave their head and they're uncovering their spirituality. And when I read that, it was like, oh, thank you. You know, I mean, I knew that was what a therapist would have said to me, but I wasn't seeing it. You were
0: conscious of it,
1: and and then I wouldn't have needed to shave my head. I would have uncovered. (laughs) But then your kids liked it because they
0: could find you in the theater better. (laughs) You know, (laughs) when I drew a picture
1: shortly thereafter for Elizabeth Cool Ross, I went to one of her workshops to get help dealing with all my stuff, and I drew a picture for her. She asked me to draw a picture, and I did. And one of the first things she said to me was, "What are you covering up?" I said, "What are you talking about?" She said, "Bernie, I gave you a white piece of paper." You made a mountain with snow on it, but you used a white crayon to, you know, cover the area where the snow is. You added a layer. You didn't need it. What are you covering up? (laughs) And the same when I painted a portrait of myself. I painted myself as a surgeon with a cap and a mask and a gown on. You don't even know it's me. And that was what I really needed help with. I needed to uncover what was within me.
0: And I think that's what we all need to do. Such yes. profound wisdom. So, Bernie, do a shout-out. Where can people find you? Where's your website? How can they get your books?
1: The three W's and then Bernie Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, BernieSiegelMD.com. And they can communicate through it, see my CDs, books, you know, opinions. Oh, art, that article, like Deceiving People Into Health, and a whole host <laughs> of other articles that they can read that are there. So much
0: good stuff. Well, Dr. Siegel, thank you from the bottom of my heart for connecting with me and our listeners today. Let's have you back again soon. And to my listeners, God bless you. Be in touch with me at Tammy B. PhD. Love from my heart to yours, onward and upward. Bye for now.